Well, welcome back. We are today going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I am going to uh, share some news of what's going on here with our museum and then give you just a short little Bible devotion as well. Um, uh, as you know, probably, uh, we have a museum, a mobile museum called the Semi-Source Mobile Creation Museum. And we also have now just acquired a brick-and-mortar museum in Broken Bow, Nebraska. And currently it is called the Bone Yard Creation Museum. I think we're going to keep that name, but uh, we are very excited about this because it has some top-notch professional uh, you know, artifacts, uh, fossils, things like that. We're going to try and make this something that is going to be a destination place for Nebraska. It's a little bit off of the beaten path, uh, you know, from the interstate, but it is on Highway 2 going through Nebraska and is a very good location as far as uh, in Broken Bow. Uh, it's just on the far end of town, right on the side of the main highway there. And so uh, if you are going through Nebraska or anywhere there on Highway 2 or just even to go to see a destination, this is a great place uh, to come see us here. Now, right now, we are going to be doing some updating and things like that. Hopefully, by midsummer, we'll have quite a bit of extra things done to uh, kind of spice it up a little bit. Um, as I said, there's some top quality things on the inside already. Uh, we just need to get some things cleaned up and organized and uh, new signs and things like that for the museum. But uh, this is basically what it looks like, one of the signs on the outside of the museum here. Uh, inside we also have uh, this T-Rex skull. Uh, kind of hard to tell the scale here, but it is quite large. And so, like I said, we want to develop some programs for homeschoolers as well as design, you know, a layout that's going to share God as not just creator, but as our Savior through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you're going to not just get creation, but the gospel message as well. You can see here that uh, there's this big megalodon jaw. And as you can see as well, that it probably needs a little bit of carpet and things like that that we're going to be putting down, uh, looking for volunteers that are going to be needing to, uh, if they would like to do some things, maybe carpentry work as well as uh, some things that we would like to build for the museum, just uh, displays, uh, cases, things like that. Uh, here's another shot of that megalodon tooth. Uh, what we'd like to do is get something that is kind of a computer interactive thing that will teach about sharks and creation and and how God designed them as well as what day God created fish and things like that. Uh, whale evolution, uh, why that is not true is talked about here. Um, really a, a neat, really top quality display there as well. You can see there's a number of other dinosaurs and fossils. There's actually a, a little stream that flows in there as well. And so those are some things that you could come and see. Anyway, I uh, just wanted to share that with you. That That's kind of some exciting things going on with our ministry. And we want to be able to, like I said, make this top notch. So uh, if you would, just pray that uh, all of the things that we need come together. Uh, some extra finances for uh, the... Uh, technologies that we would like to stick inside there as well as some advertising. Uh, we can use your help as well to just spread the word that it is there, that there is a creation museum here in you know Nebraska that can 
bring homeschool groups, bring schools, uh, just even for your family vacation. And so anyway, just go ahead and contact me if that's something that you guys are interested in. For now then, I want to get to the uh, message that I want to share with you. We did not meet to go over the book of Revelation this last week because I was out of town and I'm going to be out of town this coming week as well, so we're going to have a guest speaker. But uh, one of the things that I had mentioned before in one of the Revelation studies was that when the rooster crowed, did Peter really hear a farm animal crowing? Or was this something different? And I believe that it is something different. So I wanted to kind of go through that in greater detail and show you exactly what is going on here. We do know that when Jesus was arrested, that he was taken to the high priest in the courtyard there, and Peter was out in the courtyard warming his hands early in the morning, and it was still dark, and we see that earlier that the day before, the evening before, Jesus told Peter, he said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, three times. And really, you know, he's going to deny him three times in all. Well, what happens is when he is warming his hands, Peter is standing there warming his hands, he is asked, you know, you're, surely you're with this man. And he says, I don't know him. I, I, I don't know this man. And he hears the rooster crow. Well, finally we see the third time and Peter is so broken that he runs off and he weeps and repents of denying Christ, especially when Jesus warned him that this would happen and he said, no, Lord, never, I'll die for you. And he ends up not even being able to just admit that he knows him. Well, this is one of the, I think, most gut-wrenching times for me when I read in scripture to think about Peter doing this and and hearing that rooster crow and remembering the conversation that he had with Jesus um, it, it just it just gets me because it, I think it's personal I think it's like you know I know that there have been times when I haven't stood up for the Lord like I should have when maybe somebody was using bad language and, and I had an opportunity to, to say something and, and I didn't, or I had an opportunity to share the gospel and I didn't, and there was something that just kind of reminds you, and it's like, oh man, I, I, I should have taken advantage of that. So there is that part of that story, <coughs> excuse me, that there's no question is worthy of looking at, but was it really a rooster crow that we think of and I don't believe it is. Now, it's reasonable. Growing up, that's what I thought. It's reasonable to think that because that's what the text says. But we're going to look a little bit more closely at this text and show us what archaeology has also seen and maybe give a different side of this story that uh, is even deeper still. Now, if you disagree with this, I'm okay with that. Uh, but I do believe that the truth that we're going to look at here gives us a deeper understanding of what the message is here besides just Peter denying Jesus, all right? So uh, let's dive into this a little bit. First of all, the word rooster. When it says here in Scripture, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Now, in one case here, it almost sounds like maybe the rooster is just going to crow once and Peter is going to deny him three times. But as we compare the Gospels, we see that Peter is going to deny him three times 
but the rooster is also going to crow three times. Well, when we look at the word rooster that is used in this text, the Greek word you can see here, elector, and that is important because uh, that's not the name that is used for the farm animal, for a rooster. As a matter of fact, the Greek word for a chicken is completely different. It's katapulo, and that is not elector. It doesn't even really seem to be related to it. So this word elector, it simply, in the Greek, is a male, a male of something. So when the word that is used here for crows, it says the rooster crows, that word in the Greek is sometimes translated calls. In other words, something male is calling. And that's where we get this idea that it is a rooster crowing, even though it doesn't really fit the word for the, the chicken or a, the farm animal. It is a male calling that is taking place here. Now that's going to be important as we uh, go a little bit further here because the Mishnah, which is simply Jewish history and commentary on Torah or on the scriptures. And so the Mishnah, this commentary on the scriptures from the Jews, says that it is, was against the law to have chickens, which a rooster is, near the city of Jerusalem. You could not have anywhere in the city of Jerusalem chickens. Why? Because they were just dirty animals and they were afraid that they might actually wander into or on the temple. Therefore, as a result, it was you know, against the law to have chickens in, in the city of Jerusalem. Now, this isn't just the Jewish historian or the Jewish commentary through the Mishnah, but a Jewish historian named Josephus, who many people are familiar with, who was alive around the time of Christ, also records that this was the case, that it was illegal to have chickens on, uh, or, you know, on the Temple Mount or in the city of Jerusalem. So these are two significant findings that are going to lead us to believe that this is not a rooster crow. The very fact that it's the wrong Greek word, it's not the farm animal, and that it was against the law to have these farm animals in Jerusalem. Peter, when he is denying Jesus, is right out of the, the gates of Jerusalem. He is, well, he is actually in the court of the, the priest. He is in Jerusalem. And so instead, this must be the call of a man that is taking place here. Now, here is what uh, the Mishnah looks like, and I want to just kind of show you what it says. It, there's a long passage that talks about this, and so I'm not giving you everything, but I want you to see that there was a specific time of mourning that the priest was supposed to blow a trumpet, and that is when he was preparing the doors of the temple to open them for the daily sacrifices to take place. It says here in Yoma 1.8 in the Mishnah, every day they used to remove the ashes from off the altar at Kakro or near to it, either before it or after it. Now here you think, okay, the cock crow, that's a rooster crowing. And so you're supposed to remove the ashes when the cock crows. Well, that is what this is saying. However, that is, the farm animal is not how they understand the cock crow. It does not mean the farm animal, but instead it is the blast of the trumpet that was called the cock crow. And they would blow this three times in the morning. They say here in Sukkah 5.4, they blew a sustained 
That's number one, a quavering. Number two, and another sustained blast. Three blasts every morning. And so these were called the cock crow in the Mishnah. And the very first one was blown when the doors of the temple were open early in the morning. And then you would also have one at the uh, to announce then for, well, the priests. Some say it was for the priests, the, the Levites, the rest of the Levites, and then the congregation to announce them to come and worship. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up here. But there is another thing to back up that what I'm saying here is indeed true, and that is archaeology. There were excavations along the southwestern corner of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and they found this stone here, and you can see the Hebrew inscription on it. It says, to the place of the trumpeting. Scholars that have studied this are saying that it marked the place where these priests blew these morning trumpets. And Josephus mentions this place as well and these blowings of the trumpet in Josephus, uh, the war, 4.582, just kind of give you a reference to site where this is coming from. And these trumpets were known as the rooster crow. So, very significant. Not only have they found in archaeology the place of the trumpeting, that the scriptures, or I should say Mishnah, commentary on the scriptures, and Josephus say that they would blow these trumpets every morning. So they believe that this is where it was, uh, this very spot on the temple, that this would take place, way up high on the pinnacle of that temple. And so this daily morning and evening sacrifice that took place, they were to sacrifice in the morning and also in the evening. Those sacrifices were called the Tamid sacrifices or continual sacrifices. It was called that because God gave a command way back in Exodus chapter 29 that these sacrifices were to be continual, daily, every single day, every morning and every evening. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think it is very significant that these trumpets, it's of utmost importance that the first sound of these trumpets that you heard every morning was to announce that the temple was open and therefore the morning sacrifice was ready to be offered. Scripture is very clear that Jesus is our continual sacrifice. He did it once for all, therefore his sacrifice continues for us to this very day. And it was when this trumpet is blowing, this cock crow is going out, announcing that the doors of the temple are being opened, that Jesus, our continual sacrifice, is being readied to be placed on the altar of that cross that very morning. And so, very uh, significant. If it's just a rooster crow to announce that Peter, you know, yes, you denied me three times. Yes, Peter, I told you this was the case. That's great. There is, a, there is a message that we can take from that. But if this is indeed the trumpet blowing, there's a deeper meaning that it was also announcing that the sacrifice of Jesus was about to take place. The continual sacrifice was going to uh, be fulfilled. What has been rehearsed all of these years was about to uh, be fulfilled. And so let me take you here to Hebrews 7, which talks about Jesus being this uh, continual or perfect sacrifice, this tamid. It says here in chapter 7, 
Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the utmost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily, as those high priests who offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all, when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son, Jesus, who has been perfected forever. That word perfected there, that is where we get that word tamid from as well. Uh, tamid also is, is related to this word of perfection. And so Jesus is perfect forever. His sacrifice wasn't daily, but once for all. And here, that crow of the trumpet blow, that male calling, in essence, the priest, the male, doing the calling of the trumpet, was announcing the temple doors are being opened and the final sacrifice is about to take place. And so, uh, again, just a deeper meaning here. It seems that God the Father was announcing to all of Jerusalem at this moment that the sacrifice, the sacrifice that all other sacrifices were pointing to, was about to take place. And so, like I said, while this doesn't change the lesson of Peter's denial, it does highlight a deeper truth that connects the Old Testament here to the New. And I think that Peter would have understood that, that Peter knew that every day that this trumpet blows, a sacrifice was going to be taking place very soon, the morning sacrifice to take away the sins. And I think maybe he didn't understand it at this moment, but later he would look back on this and say, I was denying him. But when that trumpet blew, it was announcing that he was about to go to the cross. He was that sacrifice. And so I think that this meant something for him. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, uh, I think is also very important for us to look at here today. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So remember, there were three trumpet blasts. One was to announce the sacrifice was being prepared. But the others announced the priest to come to service, to do their service. A call for the people to come and worship was the third. So as I said before, it was the opening of the door, the priests, the Levites, and the congregation. That's why there were three. And so when you take the meaning of all three of these, I think that is significant, not just for Peter, but for us as well. Like I said, Peter would have realized that not only was Jesus the sacrifice, but he had also failed to serve, to be called to service, and to give the proper worship that God was calling him to give. 
And I think that this would have added to that emotional and spiritual blow that he felt when he remembered Jesus' words that caused him to run away and weep. And the difference between him and Judah was that Judas ultimately did not repent. He took it into his own hands. He felt so guilty that he killed himself. He hung himself. But Peter realized he is the sacrifice. There is forgiveness waiting for me. And so my prayer for you today is that you remember the rooster crow. Maybe every time you do hear a farm animal crow, or maybe even a trumpet blow, that that points us to our continual sacrifice of Jesus. That he was sacrificed once for all, but that blood continues to bring forgiveness to all of us. And that there's nothing that we can do to to pay for our sins, but we remember, as Judas did not understand, but Peter did, that that sacrifice took care of our sins when we have denied him in the past, when we have fallen short, that it is a call for us to worship and to serve, and when we fail, that that sacrifice is there and continues to bring forgiveness to us to this very day. Paul tells us this in Romans, and I want you to remember that, that in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, in view of what God did for you, And being that sacrifice, now offer your body as a living sacrifice that is pleasing to God. And he says, to not follow the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit has done. Then, when that happens, when we realize this truth, we are able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So don't forget that we now are the temple in which that Holy Spirit dwells. And the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us is once and forever. We are now called, that crow, a calling to the service by our great high priest, Jesus Christ. As the door of the temple was open and remains open for us to this very day. So not only was his sacrifice ongoing, but the temple door that was opened would never go shut for us again because Jesus is about to go to the cross and when he did that curtain that separated the the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two giving us access to the throne room of God you know in revelation we've been studying here in chapter 4 uh, just the other week we saw that it began by saying after this I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven And the voice that I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. Well, the temple doors are open for all to come in and see the majesty and holiness of our God. Now we simply wait for the trumpet to blow again. But this time, when it blows that the next time when we're the one we're waiting for, it's not going to be from an earthly temple, but from the heavenly rooster crow, the heavenly trumpets announcing the arrival of our Messiah again, not to die and be sacrificed, but to call us up to be with him in heaven forever because he was sacrificed. So come, Lord Jesus, come, and I just pray that this brings uh, some kind of message to you that uh, will bring joy and peace for you today. Um, Final closing thought, 
announcement that we are going to Israel again. And here you can see just uh, the flyer. If this is something you're interested in, it's November 29th through December 8th of 2023 with an extension that is going uh, through December 11th to Jordan to see Petra. Now, if you've never seen Petra, let me tell you, it, it rivals the pyramids that we went to on our last trip. And uh, you will be blessed and never be able to look at the scriptures quite the same after going to Israel. Because as you read these things and you read about this, this crow of the temple, uh, you will be able to even see that very stone that I showed you and the place where they would blow these trumpets. And so really... Like I said, we read these things in Scripture, it just it comes alive, and you'll never see it quite the same. Even when I took our group to Israel this last time, I was talking about this very thing, and our guide said, he's right, and he began to read out of their writings and read to us those portions talking about uh, chickens not being allowed in Jerusalem. And so uh, he, he talks about many different things that without seeing Jerusalem and without understanding it, you may, you may miss. Not that we have to go to Jerusalem to be a good Christian or, or to even be closer to God. We don't. But it does help us as we read those scriptures to help some of these things come alive. And I'd love for you to be able to see those things yourself. So uh, if you're interested, just go ahead and get in touch with me. Um, you can email me at creationinstruction at gmail.com or call us at 402 519 0301. And uh, God's blessings. And like I said, I hope it was a blessing to hear that today. Have a great one.
chapter 4, verse 4, a couple other highlights. They were clothed in white robes, crowns of gold. Um, the white robes, that was predicted back in chapter 3, one of the churches, to he who overcomes, I'm going to give you white robes. Um, probably then that linen cloth that is explained in chapter 19, verse 8 of Revelation, which says the white robes are the righteous acts of the saints. That what you do in this world does matter, but you have to do it through Christ. The crown, the word crown here is a stephanos. It's, it's basically a, a victor's crown. You have overcome. Okay, not, not a ruling, but a victor's crown. Verse 6, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Okay, remember, the temple before it, as I said, was this bronze basin of water called the sea. That's what it's called in scripture there in Chronicles, I believe. In the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. We're not going to get time to talk about this too much, but I want to show you Ezekiel 1, verse 22. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like an expanse sparkling like ice. Here in Revelation, it says like a sea of glass. Ezekiel described it as ice. Would pretty much look the same. When Moses goes up Mount Sinai, what does he describe it as? Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. So if you, I've, I've done, read many commentaries on Revelation. And as you do this, they talk about all of this. They spiritualize it away to where it, it's not even real. It just, it's a symbol of something, but it's not real. It's not literal. Moses, in, in the book of Exodus, that was a historical book. And he is describing what he saw. It was real. And so Ezekiel, Exodus, Revelation are all saying the exact same thing. It must be literal as well. Now these creatures are the cherubim. Um, I'm not going to get, as I said, time to talk about the cherubim. But I just went to look for some pictures to maybe give you a visual of what we've described here so far tonight. And so here's a few of them. You've got the rainbow, like emerald. You have the four living creatures, the cherub there. You've got 24 elders sitting around. You've got the lampstands. You've got the sapphire, clear as the sky itself. Lightning coming from the throne. But again, this is the picture you see in the temple on earth. If you could open up, you had the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, the throne of God. You had smoke and whatnot, bright light that would come out from it. You had the cherub that were around the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that were on top of it there. You had the menorah in front, the lampstand. You also had the altar of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. It hasn't been described here, but it will be later. So that incense altar is there as well. You also had the manna, the word of God. Well, Jesus is the manna. He's there. And so we're seeing all this part of the tabernacle, but a heavenly view of it. Here's another one. I like this one a little bit better. I kind of put these in my uh, ascending order of liking. Again, you know, the, the elders with their crowns, 
um, the, the four living creatures, lightning coming forth, uh, the rainbow. And my favorite one here with this copyrighted picture is this here. I did order the book actually for this. It's called Revelation Illustrated. And so I'm going to kind of use that. So just a little plug for that. There's something about that rainbow and the, the emeralds those that I like about this one. I, I also like the four living creatures, partly because of what we haven't had a chance to talk about tonight in the sense of the ox. They have four different faces, and we'll talk about that later. But here you also see the saints around the throne, too, behind the elders. Here's the other thing. I love this. I'm not saying this is the throne of God, but if you've ever seen the Northern Lights, they are breathtaking. And if you look at the throne of God, and I see when you see those Northern Lights, I think the throne of God. Now, by the way, do you know where the throne of God is? It's in the north. And you go, what? You're just making stuff up now. No, it says it in the scripture. Now, if you recall... When I talked about the stars, I did that presentation for you. The whole constellation, all the constellations of the north are our heavenly home. The pictures of that, that that displays. Go back and watch that if you never saw it. You have our heavenly home, the Big Dipper and all of that. But in Ezekiel or Isaiah, Satan says this, that he wanted to ascend above the stars of God to ascend to the throne of God, and it says, in the north. It says it right in Scripture. And then I thought, wow, and now we have northern lights that usually appear in the northern part. Again, I'm not saying this is what it is. It just reminds me of it. I like this visual. When you see the northern lights, it's the throne of God, just the brilliance of it, kind of coming through okay way I like to look at again not saying that's what it is but I like to think about it that way